You know, I want to welcome you today because we're starting, um, this is the second installment of our sermon series called Relationship Rehab. Uh, during the first series, we talked a little bit, or first sermon, we talked a little bit of how we can fix a lot of the broken relationships in our life. Let's be honest, many of us know that relationships are very, very important. We know it. We know relationships are important. It's great to have great coworkers and spouses and friends and a bunch of other relationships. But how many of us know that relationships are hard? It's easy to break a relationship, but it's very difficult to repair one. And so we've been teaching you over the last few weeks how to repair the broken relationships in your life. And let's be honest, each of us has at least one relationship that's kind of, that has a rift in it, don't we? Uh, maybe it's your best friend. You went from being best friends to a person to now you barely talk at all. You went from talking daily to them. You were their best friend. Now you're their mortal enemy. Maybe it's your father. You don't talk to your dad like you used to because he makes some kind of insensitive comments about your weight. And you don't really like that. Neither would I. Or maybe it's your coworker. You know, you and your coworker had a really good relationship. But they to hang out with the people that don't like you. Oh, nobody's going to be honest in the building today. Okay, okay. Every, we all get along with our coworkers in here. Any, anyway, you guys were cool. Y'all used to hang out a lot, but now things are kind of on the edge. Maybe it's your sister-in-law. You guys build a good rapport, but something happened during the pandemic where you guys just fell off and you can't have the conversations like you once did. Each of us has a person in their life with whom we have a relationship that needs to be mended. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not the most handy person in the world. Ah, that's what I'm talking about, baby. That's right. I'm not the most handy person in the world. You know, I, I, you know I'm, I, just, I was trying to help the load-in, load-out team one day. In case you don't know who the load-in, load-out team is, they set up all the things that you see here on Sunday morning. This is an empty ballroom, and they basically come in and set everything up. So one day I was like, you know what? I'm going to show some good faith, and I'm going to help them out. I'm going to try to take the stage apart after the service. And um, I started to do that, and I was like, man, my knees are hurting up here, you know, bending down. You know, my back is hurting up here. So then I was like trying to unscrew these little screws in the stage and pull it apart. Messed around and stripped one of the screws. Why y'all say it like that? You never stripped a screw before? Jesus. And so I stripped the screw and then I was trying to put, the, put it back in, right? And then Pastor Jacob just came up to me like, ah, that was a good sermon earlier today, Pastor. Um, you obviously have a communication gift, but you may not have a construction gift. So why don't you do us a favor? Just go over there, you know, kiss the babies and shake some hands. Because it seems like, get this, every time I was trying to repair the stage, I just made it worse and worse. And can I be honest with you today? I think the same thing that applies in my load in, load out, build the stage skills applies to many of our relationships. Because a lot of times we're trying to rebuild our relationships but we end up damaging them all the more. We make them worse than they were before we started from the beginning. In the words of Pastor Tim Lucas, it's because we use the wrong tools. Instead of using the right tools to build our relationship, we grab for C4. C4, you know, the plastic explosive that blows things up. That's what we use, right? Here's the four C's we use. Number one, we're like, well, the way I'm going to try to fix this relationship is convincing them that I'm right and they're wrong. Right. So you're like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write them an email 
and I'm going to attach an article in that email, lay it out all the areas where it's a logical and fallacy. So they shouldn't believe this point. Yeah, that's a good idea. Or maybe I'll write them a Facebook post and I'll tag them in an article and say, hey, uh, like our conversation said a few weeks ago, I just want to show you that you were wrong about this. That's what we like to do. Or if that doesn't work, we're like, you know what I'll do? I'll try to convict them. I'll make them feel guilty about what they said. Yeah, I'll be like God. And I'll make them feel guilty and make them apologize to me for what they did. If that doesn't work, I'll just coerce them. You know what coerce? Parents do this all the time. You know when your kid is right about something and you're like, you ain't allowed to be right. You're only five years old. So therefore, do what I say. Why? Because I'm going to coerce you. Or we'll do this to parents or grandparents. You're like, you know what, Dad? I'm not feeling comfortable with what you said. You're not going to see your grandparents, your grandkids for a little while. Or we try to control them. Why? Because we're in control. We're in charge. So what happens is we use those four C's or that C4, and then we blow up our relationships. And we wonder why we're so lonely and why we struggle. And so today I want to help us not to blow up our relationships, but instead repair them. And I want us to pursue something that we would describe as reconciliation. Somebody say reconciliation. reconciliation. Reconciliation is what the Bible describes as taking a fractured relationship and repairing it so that the relationship can be rekindled. That's, does that make sense? So in other words, that's where we would get this biblical term repentance. Repentance is when we're asking God to forgive us for a specific offense that we've made in order for the relationship with him to be recultivated, right? That's what the Bible calls us to. And so what happens is this idea of reconciliation is the truth or is the grand story of the Bible. It's, it's what happened is, is that you and I have sinned against God. We have not met his standard of perfection. Then on top of that, we have putrid hearts that kicks God off of the throne room of our hearts and puts us there. We take his gift and we use it to build our platforms. We take his skills and we, and we worship and idolize that instead of him. And so what happens is our relationship has been ripped apart, but thanks be to God, he sent a search and rescue mission in the person of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus leaves the comforts of heaven, comes down into the chaos of earth, and deals with the relationships and heals it after it's been broken apart. Let me get a little bit more practical here. Uh, one movie I love is, as a parent, you watch all type of movies, but one movie I love is Finding Nemo. Yes, I do. I love watching Finding Nemo with my kids. Finding or We've seen all of those movies, all of them online. Like, it's a beautiful movie. But I love how this little clownfish, this little insecure clownfish that had his son ripped away from him by a diver, decides that he's going to span the expanse of the ocean. Go all the way to Australia in order to save his son. When I think about that, I get misty-eyed because it reminds me of Jesus. Of how Jesus left the expanse and the comfort of heaven, came through the third heaven, which is the, which is the planetary region, came through the first atmosphere, and came down into earth in the form of a broken woman named Mary to save us from our sins. Can I tell you that Jesus is the greater Marlin? This is what we see here, that the whole relationship with us and God is based upon reconciliation and so what I think some of us have to do in this season if we've, is we've got to pivot we've got to move away from I'm going to get at that person and more 
of saying, I'm going to get back to that person. See, a lot of us want retaliation. Jesus wants restoration. A lot of us want revenge. And Jesus wants us to reconcile the broken relationships in our life. So let me just say this. So just just so we're clear, when I talk about reconciliation and forgiveness, which I'm going to give you a definition for in a second, I want you to know that I'm not advocating for reconciliation in situations where there's been abuse. Okay, I'm not advocating. Is it possible to reconcile in those relationships? Sure. Right. But in many instances, it can be unwise and it can be unsafe. In the case where there is physical, verbal, or emotional abuse, or at worst, sexual abuse, like one of the worst things you can do is stay in that relationship and continue to put yourself in physical harm or psychological harm. What I'm I'm arguing here is less about that and more about the day-to-day relationship troubles that many of us have. You, You know, the regular conflicts, the hurt feelings, the strained relationships, the estrangement, all of that type of stuff. Does that make sense? Okay, I just need to say that for us. And let me just also say this before I dive in, that just because you reconcile a relationship with somebody, it does not mean that you're going to resolve every issue that you have. See, a lot of us think that reconciliation means that we are tight and we agree on every single solitary thing. That's not what happens. What reconciliation argues is even though we disagree, it doesn't mean that I have to be disagreeable. In other words, we can walk hand in hand without either of us seeing eye to eye. That's what he's communicating here. So, so many of us are like, you're like, yes, pastor, I absolutely want to reconcile relationships. I've got a bunch of broken ones, but there's a problem in the way, isn't it? And it's called forgiveness. Forgiveness is, is, is good until you got to forgive somebody, isn't it? Like we like it in theory. But in reality, many of us are much more unforgiving than we would like to admit. Ooh, we will hold a grudge, won't we? Some of us are petty. We will hold a grudge for years on end, just waiting like it's space to bring that card out and to use it as the trump card. Like, you know what? I'm glad you bought this up because I just want to let you know that two years ago we were sitting around this table and you said to me, you'd be like, why are you bringing it up now? See, because you get hurt and get historical. That's what happens. So, so it's okay. Like, like we're trying to learn to forgive, but how many of you know that it's a struggle to do so? And so if you're experiencing any resentment today, if you're experiencing any difficulty uh, forgiving, I want to let you know that you're in the right place. And that today I want to help you walk through some of the hurt so that you can experience the healing that God has for you. And I think we can glean a lot from the person that we just read about today. If there was somebody in the scriptures that we could that could hold a grudge it was joseph if there was somebody that deserved to be bitter or deserved to be angry it was joseph firstly he comes from a broken household his dad had 13 children by four different wives well actually two of them were his girlfriends and then he married two sisters and then joseph uh and then joseph is from the favorite sister the one that he really loved not the other one that he didn't love and so his, and then on top of that, Joseph was amazingly arrogant. He was one of the most arrogant dudes in the world, but he was his father's, he had his father's affection. And so his father made him this Farragamo coat and he would walk around in this Farragamo coat. It had multicolors, like, or if you're from, if you're a baby boomer, it's a, it's a Coogee sweater. So he had this Coogee sweater on. He was walking around on, you know what I'm saying? Like this, this nice thing. And his brothers was like, how come this man? gets a coochie sweater or a Ferragamo hoodie, and we are here in this distressed clothing. 
And so what they decided to do was they were like, you know what? We're going to tie him up and throw him in a pit. See, I don't I, I understand to a certain degree why they're angry. But the problem is, is that they, they directed their anger in the wrong direction. They should have been directing their anger to their father that created a silvering rivalry and had a conversation with him about it or maybe talk to one of their mothers. But instead, they took out their anger on Joseph. Why? Because they knew it could hurt Joseph and it could hurt the father. What I'm saying is that pain that is not transformed is transferred. And so they experience this pain because their father didn't love them to the degree to which he loved Joseph. And because of this pain, they transferred it to Joseph. And so we find ourselves here where then eventually it sets off a cataclysmic event in his life. Then this man is sold into slavery. And while he's in slavery, get this, he's accused of sexual assault. And then he's left in jail. He eventually interprets a dream that lands him out of jail, and then he gets out, and then he becomes, that's right, baby, then he becomes the vice president of Egypt. And then, don't you know, after he becomes the vice president of Egypt, them same brothers that threw him in the pit now come to him because they need some provision. It's amazing. Like, you come to me. So, so a lot of us, and, and Joseph is just like, you know what? Some of us right there, we'd have been like, nah, pastor, I'm getting my lick back right now. That's why I should have named this sermon. Get my lick back. You're like, nah, nah, you don't know what, you're, what, you're, what you did to affect my life. Nah, I'm getting my lick back. So, so at this point in his life, where we're at in the passage, Joseph is confronted with forgiveness. And for, for us to receive the forgiveness and the freedom that we need, many of us need to forgive somebody else today. We do. But here's what I've noticed about us is we love to be forgiven but we don't like to offer forgiveness to other people, which shows that you can be freed from the jail, but also stay in it because you refuse to offer that contrition to others. And so let's talk about what forgiveness is. Let me give you a definition. Forgiveness is the decision not to pursue resentment, retribution, or revenge. It's letting go of the desire to hurt the other person as much as they hurt you. In the words of Tony Evans, it's when you no longer relate to that person based upon the infraction that they have done. Okay, does that make sense? And so there's two levels of forgiveness. The first one is unilateral forgiveness. Somebody say unilateral forgiveness. Unilateral, unilateral forgiveness is when you offer forgiveness to someone that hasn't asked for it, hasn't requested it, and hasn't apologized for what they've done. And some of you be like, excuse me, pastor, why in the world? Would I offer forgiveness to anybody without them asking for an apology? Here's why. Because it allows you to experience healing in your life without the need for an apology. See, when you need an apology to move on, all you're doing is giving your offender more power. Because your healing and your deliverance and your freedom is based upon a conversation with them that may or may not ever come. So you treat the apology as a key to free you from a prison when Jesus is like, I've already freed you from that. You don't need an apology from someone to experience the healing that I have. What you do, in fact, is you cheapen the power and the validity of Christ's resurrection and his soon ascension because you need someone else to heal you in a way that they can't. This is what, this is what he's saying. This is, this is what he's offering. Isn't this what Jesus did on the cross at Calvary? When he looked at all the people that were saying crucify him, I would have said, aren't y'all the same people that were saying uh, Hosanna last week? 
Oh, y'all were the same ones, huh? Did not feed you. Weren't you part of 5,000? I would have got petty on the cross. I'm just going to be honest. Like, weren't you at the feeding of the 5,000? I'm like, hold on. Let me get this nail off my hand real quick. Let me put this down. Aren't you, weren't you at the feeding of the 5,000? Didn't I heal your sister? Didn't you? I, I would have done that. Why? Because I'm petty. I would have needed that for my healing. But Jesus is like, no, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I don't need an apology for them in order to execute on the plan of salvation. I just need to know that I have to have divine perspective that my pain is leading to others being delivered. That's what Jesus is saying. So he offers unilateral forgiveness. But the one that many of us are looking to figure out in this season is how do we address transactional forgiveness? Somebody say transactional forgiveness. So transactional forgiveness, in the words of Tony Evans, is when the person has repented. They've said, hey, I'm sorry about the pain I've caused you. They've asked for the relationship to be restored, and now you have to go through the process of determining whether you're going to rekindle that relationship with them. This is the type of forgiveness that Joseph's brothers wanted. They had just been mistreated. I mean, they had, Joseph was mistreated, and they're like, hey, we want you to proceed forth like this didn't happen at all, right? And it's like, well, if you didn't, you shouldn't have thrown me in a pit, but never mind. So some of you may be, in Joseph's position today where somebody said something that really hurt you or somebody robbed you of something or somebody took you of your innocence and you're like okay pastor how do I let this person back into my life what is the process to make this happen so today what I want to do is I want to give you a three-step process in order to reconcile your relationships are you ready three-step process you ready okay some of you okay here's the first one test the genuineness of the apology uh, you guys know that I love sneakers. You know that? I love sneakers. I do love sneakers. I even love Chelsea boots, even though they make me look like uh, uh, Peter Pan boots. It's, so, it's okay. I love them. I love them. I love Jordans, by the way. I stopped wearing them. So I like these new things called golden gooses. They're really nice. They're kind of like this distressed. Anyway, anyway, I will wear my Yeezys more, but I don't want you guys canceling me. So I've been kind of tapered off them. But I already bought them before he became anti-Semitic, so I don't want you judging me. I just haven't bought any more. Nobody thought that was funny. Okay, that's cool. So when you, buy, when you want to buy some sneakers, some premium ones, you can go on applications or apps like Goat or StockX and all that type of stuff. And that's cool. But there's also these sneaker shows that you can go to as well. And you can go to these sneaker shows and they have little exhibitions and people that are there are selling the shoes. And you're like, yo, I want to buy these. But before you exchange the cash, the best thing for you to do is to take that sneaker and take it over to an authentic, authentic, authenticator. Authenticator. There we go. I'm a doctor, but I struggle on those words. It's best to do it over there because you want to assess or determine whether this shoe is a replica or, uh, or something that's really created by the manufacturer. And so what the, what the assessor will do is they take the shoe out the box and they're looking at the tags. Then they'll look at the box to make sure the serial numbers match. And then sometimes they'll even um, give it a smell test to make sure that it's legitimate. They do that with new shoes, not old shoes, to ensure that it's legitimate. And the reason they're doing that is because they're not going to just take it at face value that this thing is authentic. You have to test it to make sure that it is real and legitimate, not a fake and a replica. And the same thing that applies to premium shoes also, in my opinion, applies to our apologies. We have to test apologies to determine whether they are genuine or not. Does the apology pass the smell test? Or is this person just being manipulative because they have an addiction to being liked by people and they don't like that they're not liked by me? 
It doesn't pass the sniff chef. Um, have I observed them in public with other people? Uh, like, like, have I asked for wise counsel? And the reason that you do this is because if you reconcile with a person, but their character has not changed, then you can potentially be putting yourself in harm's way all over again. So we have to take our time to assess the motives behind it and to test the relationship. This is what Joseph did. And in Genesis 42, 15, look what it says. It says, then Joseph said to them, talking to his brothers, I have spoken, you are spies. And this is how you'll be what? Tested. And as surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your younger brother comes here. Send one among you to go get the brother. The rest of you will be in prison so that your words, here it is again, will be tested to see if they are true. He tests the words. And then in 43, he does the same thing. He put, he eventually, Benjamin comes. He puts a cup in his bag so that they can go get their father. Then he wants to know, after I put the cup in my brother's bag, are my older brothers going to return the cup? Or are they going to harm my little brother like they did to me long ago? In other words, I'm not just going to let them back in. I need to know that their character has changed before I rekindle the relationship. Does that make some sense? And so when you're thinking about rekindling the relationship, you should ask some questions. Um, are they still blame shifting or do they take accountability? Um, do they have self-control? They cheated on me before. They didn't have self-control. I want to let them back into the relationship. But are they still following all the chicks on IG? There's a lot of ums on that one. There's a lot of ums. A lot of ums. I want to write that back in here. Make sure I... Ah, gee. There we go. Get that in there. Are they still doing that? Are, are they being open with the password on their phone? Or do they take their phone with them to the bathroom all the time? I saw somebody take their phone online. I saw somebody take their phone, put it in their pocket while they sleep. And I was like, that's suspicious. Who sleeps with full pants on like that? That's weird. With the charger and all that. So all I'm saying is, is are they exhibiting behavior that seems to correspond with a change in their life? Or do they admit that they're wrong? Or do they somehow find a way to blame others for it? Are they pursuing counseling? Who are they accountable to? Who can tell them that they're wrong? Who can tell them when they mess up, hey, you are really off about this, and they listen to them instead of acting and moving like the autonomous self? All I'm saying is, before you let somebody back into your life to reconcile with them long term and to build a relationship, you need to do some, micro, you need to do some crock pot discernment yeah, yeah. to see if they've changed. Yeah, yeah. The other day, um, we just bought this Ninja Bullet uh, crock pot. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm mad we renovated our kitchen because we can eat everything in the air fryer. I took some uh, pork chops the other day. I was being lazy. I grabbed some of that Walker Wood uh, jerk seasoning, and I just threw it in there frozen. Next thing I knew, it came out tender and soft and juicy. I said, yeah, man, let's go. I said, this is what I, this is what I need. In other words, it took a process of time for the pork chops to change from a solid state in order for them to be tender and juicy and succulent. And I'm saying that the same thing in a higher and holier way that applies to what an air fryer can do through conduction heat also happens to our hearts. It's something that has to happen over time, just not something that happens instantaneously. So, number one, 
you have to take some time to see. That's right, baby. Amen. You have to take some time to test the genuineness of their apology. Here's the second one. you got to create some healthy boundaries. Some of us simply don't have real boundaries at all. Right? Now, now when Joseph sees his brothers, the text says that his brothers didn't recognize him initially. And so when Joseph sees them, he just does not welcome them back into the house and say, welcome, man. I'm the vice president of Egypt. Now we good. He doesn't say that. In fact, what he does is many scholars say that he treated them kind of aggressively. He didn't treat them in a, in a really nice manner. Some say he hasn't been, um, he wasn't being vengeful or he wasn't being, he wasn't exacting revenge, but he was being a little bit standoffish. And so he kept his distance from them is what many commentators would say. Here's what I think he was doing. I think he was creating some healthy boundaries. The first thing that you must do when you move toward reconciliation is create some boundaries that you do not want people to cross emotionally, physically, or psychologically. Here's the definition. It's creating space between you and the other person to avoid being harmed emotionally, physically, or psychologically. That's what it is. It's creating some space. Now, you don't weaponize that space, but you use that space as a means of protecting yourself from further harm while you determine whether this person is trustworthy or not. You need to determine whether they're trustworthy, but you need to do it at a specific distance so that you are not continually harmed by, their, by the behavior that got you in this position in the first place. And so let me just say this. I think the reason that many of us are struggling so much in our relationships is because not only do we not have any boundaries or any clearly defined boundaries, but we don't communicate our boundaries. Let me just say, your friends, they're not mind readers. Your spouse is not a mind. They don't know. And listen, all sense is not common sense. I know it would make sense to you that they wouldn't do this thing, but, but to them, it seems normal. Maybe they didn't grow in the same childhood or have the same background that you did. So although this seems like it's smart and it makes sense to them, they're like, no, nah, this is just regular. Does that make sense? And so in order for you to grow in your emotional maturity, one of the first things you got to do is to say, this is a boundary. I do not want you to cross it. And as you continue to communicate it over and over again, it will help you see whether that person is trustworthy or not and if they have actually changed and ergo help to test the genuineness of their apology. Does that make sense, family? We've got to say what I'm saying is clear is kind. I'm not a big fan of dogs. Can I just be honest? I, I don't, you know, they're, they're nice. I, I don't really like cats as much, but I like cats because they're independent. You got to earn cats affection, right? But I know when you put a dog in a yard and you have the invisible fence, one thing I know is they know not to cross that boundary. Because if you cross that boundary, there'll be some repercussions. I think it's an electric shock or something. I don't know. Which sounds cruel to me. Call the ASPC on that. And so you cross that boundary. So, but if a dog has the ability to stay within the boundaries, surely you and I can communicate in a way to make sure that other people stay in those boundaries as well. Does that make sense? Okay, here's the third one. Here's the third one. And I'm finishing up on this. You have to occasionally affirm that your forgiveness is legitimate. I know you like, what? I got to do what? This man or this young lady wronged me, and now I have to reaffirm to them that I have forgiven them? Sometimes you'll have to do that. Sometimes you will. So Joseph's father 
Jacob, he died. And he was like, yo, I really love Egypt. It's cool, like it's a good time, but don't bury me here. Bury me, bury me with my people in Canaan. And so Joseph's brothers all get together, grab Jacob, and then they take him back to Canaan. But Joseph's brothers were really, really apprehensive because they believed that once the father had died, that's when Joseph would extract his revenge. And so they sent him this message and say, hey, <laughs> you remember what your dad said, right? He said, um, he said, don't punish us for our sins. Now, I don't know if Joseph said that or not, but I do know that they were very, very concerned that revenge was something that was going to happen. And so previously, Joseph had already told him, he said, yo, y'all good. I love you. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. You tried to hurt me. You tried to destroy my character and my reputation. But God used all of those evil deeds in order to send me to Egypt to prepare a harvest for seven years while there's a famine in the land. In other words, you meant it to harm me. God used this as a tool to develop me and to save your life. I'm good. Don't you know that I've moved on from this? Don't you know that I'm married to a zenith now? That she's the daughter of Pharaoh? Don't you know that I've had uh, Ephraim and Manasseh? Don't you know that Manasseh means that I've been blessed so good that I've forgotten my troubles? I'm past all this. I'm past extracting revenge. I'm past. God has done exceedingly, abundantly, above all I can ask or think. I never thought when I was in that pit that I'd become the vice president of Egypt. But God bless me. And some of y'all in the same way, you upset with people, but look where God has taken you. You got that business that you wanted to get started. You got that license that you wanted to get. You got that family that you've already prayed for. You got them children that you want. You were a nerd in high school, but now you're the coolest person on the block. You used to wear polo assassins in high school. Okay. No, no, nah, just... I wasn't a good Gen Z, but you know what I'm saying? God has done too much for us to go back and to extract revenge on stuff that doesn't even matter anymore. You meant to harm me. You meant to take my innocence. You meant to take my money, but God has blessed me with more than I can even imagine by just being faithful to him. And so Joseph doesn't say all that, but he just says, hey, don't y'all good. I love you. You don't have to worry about it. You know how you know he forgave them? Because he didn't exact revenge on them. Like, I know some of you want to get your leg back so bad. You're like, mm, if I see him. Oh, if I see him. I saw a dude that used to bully me in high school. Not, not high school. I wasn't bullied in high school. Uh, middle school. I saw him come to the church one day. Not this church, when I was leading other church. And I was like, this is my moment. And I was the pastor. I was the pastor at the time. I was like, what's wrong? What's wrong with you? Forgive and forget. I was like, nah, I ain't forgetting. I ain't forgetting. And I say that in jest, but that's how some of us are. We live our lives with the thought that we are just waiting to see that person that hurt us. That's why we will dress up when we go to the mall so you can show your ex that you look better than you look better than they new girl or they new man and that you your life is good. That's why we post what we post sometimes to let people know that you tried to harm me, but God is blessing me. Look at how I'm living. We're trying to extract revenge. Maybe you don't want to hurt them physically, but you've killed them in your heart. You've hurt them in your heart. And here's the thing, family. 
This is what God says to us today. Romans 12, 17. It says, do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the sight of everyone. As far as it is possible, live at peace with everyone. Here's this verse. Do not take revenge, but leave a little room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay. When, when, when we try to extract our revenge, what we're saying is we don't believe that God can fight for us. And we believe that he's unwilling to fight for us. And we also forget about how he's forgiven us. You know, when you look at this passage, it's ultimately pointing to a greater Joseph. Who is Jesus? This picture, this is, this is a small picture of, of the story of Christ. Wasn't Jesus the object of his father's love? Wasn't Jesus mocked by his brothers and his sister for that regard? Wasn't Jesus stripped of his robe? And they cast, it, cast lots against it and cut it in half. Wasn't he falsely accused? Wasn't Jesus thrown into a prison? Didn't he stand before rulers? But didn't he also feed his hungry brothers and sisters? Well, friends, what I'm saying is this passage is greater than just about Joseph. It's about the greater Joseph, who is Jesus. And here's what I want to let you know. I know when we read this passage, some of us think that we're Joseph because you've been done wrong. But the truth is, is that you and I aren't Joseph. We're actually the treacherous brothers who have betrayed Jesus at every point in turn. We've used our gifts. We've exploited our gifts. We've taken advantage of him. But just like Joseph forgave his brothers and welcomed them to his home, what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary and in the resurrection is he forgave us for the things that we've done wrong and he welcomed us into his home. So what I'm saying today, family, is this. As you're trying to figure out this whole forgiveness idea, there's three things you can do. Number one, test the genuineness of somebody's apology. Number two, create some healthy boundaries. And number three, I don't remember number three. Let me get it. Let me get it here. There we go. You have to occasionally affirm that your forgiveness is legitimate. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and the mercy that you've given to us. Lord, I just pray for all those under the sound of my voice today. Lord, many of whom are struggling with this whole idea of forgiveness and trying to figure out what it means to forgive and, um, and move on from this gripe, but they're trying to figure out reconciliation, trying to figure out what it looks like to rekindle broken and damaged relationships. Lord, I pray that not only will you help them, but that you give them wisdom to navigate through this. And so, Lord, we honor you. We thank you. We give you glory in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, why don't you say amen? Amen. Do me a favor. Watch